Good morning again. It's, I've actually been really looking forward to, to coming to be a part of uh, your service here. I've heard a lot from, from Ben over the last, I don't know, six months, more than that, that we've been meeting and getting together every now and again. Um, Patricia and Christian were part of uh, our church uh, a number of years ago, um, and we've been doing mission together for the last few years in Bali, which has been really special. Uh, but, but I've heard of this church a long time ago because um, there is a, a guy here, I don't know if you know him, um, maybe not called Ted Lang. Yeah, yeah, you know Ted? Well, 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 Ted is my cousin. But when I first started work, he was also my first bank manager in the Savings Bank of South Australia at a branch called Mobbery Clovercrest. He was just filling in then. And, uh, um, and I haven't seen him for years and years and years, and, but I've heard of this church for years and years and years. And so it's just great to come and be a part of it. So thank you for the invitation. Hey, can we pray? Father, you're an amazing God, and uh, we are nothing without you. We just exist. But with you, we're everything. And so we pray that as we come into your word and you speak to us, that our hearts and minds would be open to hearing from you, not, not just because we want to be blessed, but because we want to be a blessing in our world. So may your spirit and your word Speak and change us as we are receptive to you in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, I want to challenge you. I want to encourage you. But hopefully also, I want to inspire you to know that you can make a difference in the world. That's what I want to do. That's my goal. All right? So let's see if we achieve that goal. I want to begin by asking you to help me understand some things. Um, there are some things that I just don't understand um, that I've been thinking about and I thought maybe you could maybe help me understand these things. So the first thing that I don't understand is I don't understand why we put so many cushions on beds. <laughs> can, can you help me understand this? Because, I mean, in our house, we've got cushions all over our bed. It's not like guests come to our house and we say, hey, come and have a look at our bedroom because we've got cushions on our bed. I mean, every night we throw these cushions on the floor and I fall on the, over them going to the toilet at night time and then we put them back on. No one sees them, but they're there. Can you help me understand why we have so many cushions on our bed? I don't get it. Anyone? No. Certainly none of us guys understand that at all. Cushions on beds. Can you please help me understand why jeans with holes in them cost twice as much as jeans without holes in them? Can you? I don't understand that. Like I can get a good pair of jeans for, you know, 60 bucks, but to buy jeans with holes in, 150, 200 dollars. Can you help me understand why holy jeans are more expensive than non-holy jeans? Anyone? Tough thing to understand. Can you help me? There's a third thing. There's a lot of things I don't understand, but I've just got three for you this morning. Can you help me understand why this word is pronounced quinoa? <laughs> I have no idea why it's pronounced quinoa. I mean, every day of the week, that's quinoa, isn't it? Yeah. It's quinoa. That's how you pronounce it, quinoa. But for some reason, we put quinoa on that. I don't understand that. So maybe after the service, you can help me understand why we pronounce that like we do. You know, well, there are a whole range of things that I don't understand. But I think as I've been pastoring for year upon year upon year, there is, there is one question that's come at me more than anything else. 
And people come to me, and, and they don't say it always like this, but, but basically the, the concept is, can you help me understand what God's will for my life is? I don't understand what God wants me to do. Can you help me understand where God is leading me? What my purpose is? What my direction is? Can you help me understand that? And I get that, I've had that question over and over again in very many different ways. But it's a, it's a question on our heart, isn't it? God, what's your will for me? What do you want me to do? What does the Christian life really look like? And so I want to answer that question by actually posing three other questions. It's a very Jewish thing to do, not that I'm Jewish. So here's my three questions. Why did Jesus come? What did Jesus do? And what is our response to that? Why did Jesus come? What did Jesus do? And what's our response to that? And I want to begin that thought by reading from Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 to 3. It's, it's a, verse, a passage of scripture you will know once it's on the screen. Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives, and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. And the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. So this is um, is Psalm 61 verses one to three. This is a prophetic word from Isaiah hundreds of years before Christ. And he gave this prophetic word where he was saying, this is what the Messiah will look like and this is what the Messiah will do. So he just proclaimed that. Now there are many prophetic words in the Old Testament about the Messiah, about Jesus, about where he would be born, about the nature of his death. There are many prophetic words, but this prophetic word from Isaiah is about who he is and what he'll do whilst he's around. Now, I want to move from this prophetic word to Luke chapter 4. Now, in Luke chapter 4, Jesus is led into the wilderness and he begins his ministry after he's been led into the wilderness. And this, uh, he's tempted in the wilderness by Satan, but he doesn't give in to the temptation. And then he begins his ministry after that. So Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 21. He went to Nazareth, this is Jesus, where he had been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. And as was his custom, he stood up to read. Now, I find that interesting. Because here we have Jesus going into the synagogue We don't have any record of previous ministry or previous influence, but he goes into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and it says, as was his custom, he stood up to read. So obviously he was a man of influence in his synagogue way before his ministry began. He was a man who read the scriptures. It was his custom. He did this. This is what it says. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, 
because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. He has set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all who were in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus begins his ministry as he stands up to read in the synagogue by quoting Isaiah chapter 61 verses 1 to 3. Now, do you think it was just pure luck that as Jesus began his ministry that he quoted a prophetic word from Isaiah that was going to declare what he was going to do or do you think it was God inspired? It's God inspired. He begins his ministry by quoting who he is and what he is to do. And then he makes a claim right at the end, today this prophetic word is fulfilled in your hearing. So when people ask you, where does Jesus ever say he is the Messiah or God? It's right here. He says there was a prophetic word about the Messiah and who he was and what he was to do. And in Luke chapter 4, it proclaims, Jesus said, today it's fulfilled. I'm he. I am the Messiah. I am the one who has been prophesied. I am the saviour of the world. That's what he declares. You know, in Luke chapter 4. Now, I want to give you a little bit of biblical content before we look into some practical application, okay? I believe the number one reason Jesus came into our world was to deal with sin. Without a shadow of a doubt. The reason Jesus came into our world was to deal with sin. Now, we don't like to talk about that so much in our uh, modern world and in, in a lot of churches. We want to water that down because sin is too harsh. It's too judgmental. We might talk about failure. We might talk about mistakes, but we don't talk about sin so much anymore because we think it's too harsh. But Jesus came to deal with sin. Simple as that. He came to deal with sin in our world. In John 10.10, 10, it says, A thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You see, Satan, um, the same one that tempted Jesus in the wilderness, and what you might call him the devil or whatever you would call him, he comes to kill and steal and destroy our relationship with God. How does he do that? By tempting us to sin. That's what he wants to do. He doesn't want anybody to have a relationship with God, so he'll kill, destroy, and steal anything that is actually going to move people into a relationship with God. That's called sin. And Jesus said, hey, hey, but I've come for the very opposite reason. I've come to bring life. And I've come to deal with sin. And I'm gonna, I've come to actually stop sin from taking place, forgive all the sin that's going on in our world so that people can live the life with God they were created for. That's why he came. Very simply, that's why he came. And when Jesus quoted from Isaiah 61 to begin his ministry, he declared right up front, because this is what Isaiah 61 is about, it deals with the five key aspects of sin in our world. Often we don't look at this passage of scripture in this light, but there are five key aspects of sin that Jesus came to deal with as he begins his ministry, which was a prophetic word about what he would do. You see, the first of these is to preach the gospel to the poor. Do you know what? Sin causes poverty, both social economic poverty and spiritual poverty. And Jesus came to preach good news to those who were living in bad news. He wanted to preach the gospel to the poor. That's why he came. And sin causes poverty. 
Sin that causes poverty. That's what poverty is, caused by. Number two, Jesus says, and he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. You see, sin breaks hearts. It causes incredible pain in relationship. Sin destroys love and leaves people living in brokenness. That's what sin does. But he came to heal the brokenhearted. Brokenness is caused by sin. And we see that all the time. How many times do you have an argument with somebody and the argument is based on sin? What do I mean by that? You don't want to be proven wrong, so you argue. Now, I fall into this trap all the, all the time. Sometimes pride gets in the way and pride causes me to not be humble. Pride causes me to be wanting to be right. And what happens is I'm going to argue a point. And it breaks our relationship. When you, when you live in, in arguments and friction within a relationship, that's always caused by sin and it always breaks the relationship. It breaks trust. Jesus came to deal with that because he doesn't want us to live in broken relationships at all. Number three, Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Sin enslaves people, it keeps them in darkness and in prison, and Jesus came to set people free. Sin basically enslaves people. In our world today, there are more people uh, enslaved than ever in history. More people than ever in history before are slaves today. And that can be, that's basically, it's people slavery. People trading in people through prostitution, through a whole range of other avenues. And Jesus came to deal with that sin. That's why he came. Number three, he came to recover a sight for the blind. Sin blinds people from truth, from the way that God created things to be. And Jesus came to open our eyes, not only to see the truth of God, but to see God himself. But sin stops us from seeing truth and it stops us from seeing God. So he wanted to recover the sight of the blind. That's why Jesus came. And number five, the last reason, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. Sin oppresses people. It robs them of joy and hope and dignity and justice. And Jesus came to liberate people from bondage. That's why Jesus came. He came to deal with sin. And Isaiah 61 is the prophetic message as to what the Messiah would do. And Jesus came to proclaim the kingdom of God to all people because of sin they were living in the kingdom of darkness. And we see that in our world all the time, don't we? We live in a dark world and sometimes our world gets a little dark and, and Jesus came to actually release us from that. So Jesus preaches the kingdom of God over and over and over again. Why? Because people are living in the kingdom of darkness. And that's what sin does. And Jesus came to deal with that. Romans 3, 23 and 24. I suspect you know, or most of you might know Romans 3, 23. Yes? Let's repeat it. And I know you'll say it quietly because there might be a risk you'll get it wrong and you don't want to embarrass yourself. But be more confident because I suspect you'll know this. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know that verse? Romans 3, 23. Let's just repeat it again. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. Do you know and remember Romans 3.24? Yeah? Let's test you on this one, all right? See, we remember this verse, which is talking about sin and darkness and that we all fall into that. But most people I've learnt don't remember at all verse 24. 
Verse 24. Let's, let's see if you've got it, all right? Because it's a great verse of Scripture. Verse 24 says this, And all are justified. Someone's cheating now. For all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. You got it? See, we remember the bad news, but we don't remember the good news. We remember that for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but we don't remember that all are freely justified by grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. This is an amazing passage of Scripture. See, the bad news is there is sin in the world. The good news is Jesus came to deal with that. That's what Jesus came to do. So I want to encourage you to, to put Romans, not 3.23 on the back of your toilet door or your fridge, but put Romans 3.23 and 24 on the back of your fridge, on the back of your toilet door or on your fridge. Not on the back of the fridge, it's tough to see that one. All right? It's an amazing passage of scripture of declaring the truth about sin, but declaring the equal truth that Jesus came to deal with it. That Jesus came to deal with it. Jesus came to deal with the sin of the world, that's why he came. Now what did he do? He just did that. That's what Jesus did. Everything he taught, every ministry he was involved with, everyone he healed, everyone that was delivered, everyone that he taught, was Jesus was dealing with the sin in the world. And it comes to a culmination of Jesus on a cross. From the very moment he began teaching to the end of his life, Jesus dealt with sin. And he displayed that in his death and his resurrection. Jesus came to deal with sin. That's why he came. That's what he did. Now, here's the challenging question for us. What do we do in response? What, what's, what's our activity? What, what does life look like for us in response of what Jesus has done for us? I want to I look at the book of Acts 2.17 quickly. Acts 2.17. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Remember that, all right? In the last days, God says, I'll pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old man will dream dreams. The spirit of God has been poured out on all people. Now, John 14, 12. Very truly I tell you, this is Jesus, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. What do we do in response to what Jesus has done? Jesus makes it very, very clear that we will do what he did. That's what he says. You're still here so that you can carry on the work that Jesus did. That's why you're here. That's our prime responsibility, to carry that on. And so what is that again? What did Jesus do? Well, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord, as we've just read, is upon you. The Spirit came, is poured out upon you. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me. The Spirit has also anointed you to do what? To preach the good news, the gospel to the poor. He has sent 
you to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed and to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. You're to do what Jesus did. He dealt with sin. We are still here so that we can also go into dark places to bring the light of Jesus Christ. That's why we're here. That's what we're to do. Sin is robbing people of a relationship with God in our world. There is incredible brokenness in our world. And there is no one that can deal with that other than Jesus Christ. And we are Jesus Christ's hands and feet in this world. The responsibility now has been given us. We can't deal with sin. It's already been dealt with on the cross. But we can proclaim that to the brokenness of our world. That's our prime responsibility. That's what Jesus wants us to do. It's very, very clear. So when someone asks you, what does Jesus want me to do with your life? It's very, very clear. This is what he wants us to do. Now, I understand that when people come to me and they say, what does Jesus want me to do with my life? They're talking about very different understanding. They're saying, who should I go out with? Which girl or which guy should I start to have a relationship? Who should I marry? What job should I do? How much money should I earn? Where should I go on holidays? What should I buy? What shouldn't I buy? How many children should we have? How many children should I get rid of? Like we we ask these questions about what is God's will for our life, right? I understand that, but, but I want to declare to you that I think that question about meeting our needs is a secondary understanding, not a prime understanding. And I think many in our churches today live for the secondary purpose and not the primary purpose. See, our prime purpose is to deal with sin in our world. That's what we've been saved for. We're Jesus' hands and feet in the world. And there's this promise of Scripture in uh, Philippians. Uh, No, I didn't put it up there, but I did just write it in my notes. In Philippians 4.19, And my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches. Do we believe that as a truth? Yeah? Yeah? It's a truth, isn't it? God will meet all our needs according to his glorious riches, Philippians 4.19. So if we believe that truth, our prime question isn't, God, what do you want me to do in my life? Who do you want me to marry? What do you want me to have? Where do you want me to live? What job do you want me to do? That isn't our prime question anymore because God promises to meet those needs. Our prime question and our prime responsibility is to go into a broken world to deal with sin. And I believe as Christians, as we do that, the secondary needs, which are important, don't get me wrong. Who you marry is important. How many children you have is important. What job you do is important. What mission trip you might go on is important. How you live your life is important. It's an important thing, but it's secondary because God will meet those needs as we live out our prime responsibility of dealing with sin in our world. And I just think our church has got it wrong a little bit. I'm not saying this church, I'm I'm talking globally here, that our church now worries more about our secondary purpose, not our primary purpose. And I I hear people all the same say, "When, when, when I've got my job and when I've settled down and when I'm a little bit older, then I can actually serve God more. And I think God says, no, 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 serve me first and I'll provide everything else you need. But we don't make that our prime responsibility anymore. We don't make it our prime responsibility. We need to trust God. That's the church's first responsibility. And I think sin sin and brokenness in our world is getting bigger and bigger because as a church, as people of God, we've taken that less seriously. It's a really real thing that people are living in. And they need to be healed from that, delivered from that, 
Set free from that. Who's going to do that if it's not us? An evangelist from Germany called Reinhard Bonnke. I don't know if you know of him. I've got this poster of Reinhard Bonnke on my, um, in my office and uh, he's at a revival meeting in Africa of which over four days, 1.5 million people gave their life to Jesus Christ. And at this one meeting, there's more than a million people at this one meeting. And the caption at the bottom of it is, the church that is not saving the lost is lost itself. I just think that's true. Well, the church that is not bringing good news to the broken is broken itself. You see, our responsibility is to bring good news, to set people free, to, to help people remove the blindness in their eyes. That's our responsibility as a church. That's our prime responsibility. Um, I, I got the privilege just um, in July to go to, um, no, sorry, in August, to, to go to the Philippines. And, and this is me and a couple of pastors at the back, and I was leading a trip uh, to the Philippines, and, and we, we went to this house of Justin. Justin's this boy in the, in the middle there. Justin's 14 years old. Now, Justin um, lives in this, it's a terrible situation, and, and we went to visit, and the front was around 30 or 40 metres of just rusted tin, really high, about three storeys high, but it was just tin. Either side were these really nice buildings, but in the middle was this um, just rusted out, mouldy storey, place and we had to walk through this doorway which was about this wide and there was a bit of cement but it was mainly dirt and then over the top were just wires and wires I don't know if you've ever been to an Asian context but they just have wires going everywhere and then there are water pipes next to these wires that is just leaking water so it's damp, it's wet, there's wires and it's, um, it's dark and we walk down, it goes for around 50 or 60 metres but about halfway down there's this another door and it's about again this wide and there's a stairwell that goes up to a platform. Now all the way down to that were doors everywhere, just doors. And then we walked into this stairwell, there's a door there, there's a door there, we walked up these stairs to this platform, door, door, and then there's this wall about eight or nine feet high, and on the wall is a handmade wooden ladder stuck to the wall. I'm thinking, that's not safe for me to climb. Like, I'm carrying just a couple of kilos, and I don't know, I thought, well, God, we're here. (laughs) <laughs> look after us. So we climb up to this ladder to another landing. Up there, there's no lights. No lights at all. So we turn on our phones and we're using some lights and there's a little landing and there's a door, there's a door and there's another wall about eight foot high and another handmade ladder and we climb up that ladder then there's all this rubble and this little broken wall. We climb over this wall, it's pitch dark, door, door and in the front is an open door and this is Justin's house. This is his whole house, seven feet by seven feet. Justin lives there with his mum and his little sister and his dad. The dad comes home just on Sundays because he works a long way away, six days of the week, just so they can afford to live in a seven foot by seven foot room in the midst of hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of other rooms. Incredibly extreme poverty that they live in. Justin has um, just been sponsored through Compassion. He's a sponsored child, that's why we went and visited him. He started going to church. He gets a meal now. He gets mentored in Jesus Christ. He's got an education and his books are paid for. He's, he's, he's been provided for. And, and now his mum and his sister and his dad are going to church as well and they've never been to church before. And we asked, you know what the one thing poverty does? It robs people of dreams. Because all they're worried about is how they're going to survive today. They can't think about tomorrow. But we asked Justin, what does he want to do? He's 14 years old and he says, I want to become a sailor. We said, why? He says, because I can get a really good job. 
that I can take my family out of here. He's 14 years old. And he's already dreaming of taking his family out of poverty. Because being sponsored has given him some dreams and hopes and education and a chance at life that he never had before that. Now this is Justin living in one seven foot by seven foot room in the midst of a shanty place where there are hundreds of other rooms seven feet by seven feet lived in by families. In the midst of hundreds of other areas exactly the same like this in Manila where people are living exactly the same, in the midst of a world where there are thousands upon thousands of children and families living like this. Living in brokenness, living in captivity, living oppressed lives, blind to the truth of what God has for them, just trying to survive and exist. Who steps into that? Who steps into that? It's us. We're the only ones who can step into that. Because that's what God's called us to do. We're to do what he has done. To step into the brokenness and the sin of our world with the love and the light of Jesus Christ. Through compassion, that's what we do. Every sponsorship, which costs, and I'll, I'll promote this unashamedly, costs $12 a week to sponsor a child, to take them and give them a chance at life, them and their families. And so we have 7,000 projects around the world, over 2 million children sponsored, and that's growing every single day now because some people say, you know what? I can sacrifice $12 a week or $24 a week. Viv and I, we sponsor three kids because we've got three kids. And you know what? We don't even miss it. And it changes the life. It changes a family. It changes a whole community. I was speaking to a pastor on this trip, and this pastor planted a church in a really poor area on an island called um, Cebu. And on that island, um, he had eight people, and he started around about 14 years ago, and he just met in his home. And when I say home, let's not overstate it. It's a one-room building, right? So he had eight people come, and that just grew and grew. And then he connected with Compassion, and so Compassion then started sponsoring children. People were sponsoring a child, and he started this program, and that gave him a basis to reach out into these poor families and this brokenness and and this world where extreme poverty was just ruining lives. And his church then grew to um, maybe three to 400 people. And then he said, you know what? We need to take the message of Jesus Christ. And this is the pastor who lives in poverty. It's like he doesn't have any money, right? And so eight people, now it's three to 400 people. And he says, there are 41 districts on this island. I want to plant a church in every one of these districts. And I want a compassion program in every one of these districts because compassion is taking children out of poverty and allows us to introduce Jesus to them, their family and community. So this pastor who has nothing has now planted 14 church, sorry, 21 churches and he has... 12 churches to go in another 12 areas. One pastor. I have to say, I look at my life sometimes and I think, Roger, what have I done with my life? A pastor who lives in poverty has partnered now with compassion and people like you who sponsor a child have allowed evangelism to take place and it's changing the world. It's changing the world. What does God call us to do? To be his hands and feet, to step into the sin of our world with the love of Jesus Christ. I want to share a a video with you. It's It's a girl from Uganda called Jennifer. I am Jennifer Gitiri and I'm from Kenya. Growing up with a single parent in the slum was very, very difficult for me. 
really living hand to mouth because if my mom went to look for employment or even wash other people's clothes, if she came in the evening with a dollar, that's what we would use to buy a meal and eat at that particular time. If we wake up tomorrow, there's nothing to eat, then we'd take a glass of water and run to school. But Compassion, I opened a project at a church near our home. And for the first time as a young girl, I saw hope. Compassion provided for everything. They gave me books. When I was sick, Compassion would pay for my medical care. And I'm also thankful to my sponsor who was very, very encouraging. You know, just writing letters of encouragement, telling me that you can make it, you can do it. Your past should not determine your future. I believe my sponsors were God sent. When we wrote to Jennifer, it was important to let her know that we really cared about her. I just said what a mother would say. You know, we're so proud of you. We're so proud that your grade card is good and that you've done such a good job. I remember vividly our neighbor's child was raped. The child was 10 years, and these were the kind of things that I saw growing up that really made me decide to be a lawyer, someone who could speak for the rights of those who cannot speak for themselves. The beginning of this year, I joined the Kenya School of Law so that now I can be admitted into the bar and become an advocate in the High Court of Kenya. This summer, I went to the United States of America to, to be an advocate. I shared passionately about my story and how my sponsors had made a difference in my life, and they were brought on stage. Here they are. It was life-changing just to, to see those two people who'd sacrificed their resources, who used to pray for me, who used to encourage me. So for, for me to see these two people was, was just amazing. Compassion gave us the opportunity to reach halfway around the world to rescue one little girl from whatever the future might have had in store for her. It makes me cry all the time when I think of how far God has brought me, you know, from the ditches of poverty to this. Three hundred twenty-five million children in the world live in extreme poverty. Three hundred eighty-five million, and it's because of sin, not their sin, but a sin of a world that has caused oppression to fall upon them. Um, sorry. Um, I understand as a church you do a whole range of things, and we. For many, many of you, um, 
thank you for what you do. Some of you I know already sponsor children with compassion. But I suppose my, my request would be, could you sacrifice just a little bit more for a child, for a family? And I say this because every one of these children needs a hope in the future. And we've brought some children today and, and you've got pictures of them. And, and maybe you've got in your heart to sponsor one or two or, or three children that you can change their world. But thank you for what you do do. And it's not a pressure that to do that because I know some of you do incredible things, but it's an opportunity maybe to do some more. And, and the children are there because I thought, how good will it be if we can, just as a church, and I, and I think this is the prime importance, that we can pray for us, but we can pray for the church to be the hands and feet of God in the world and, and to do what God has called us to do, to heal the brokenhearted, to bring sight for the blind, good news to the poor. That's what we're called to do. So you might have a child in front of you, and I've, I've got a couple of children in front of me, and if you haven't, maybe just try to grab one or see one. And I've got Joab, and I've got Lewis, and they've all been waiting for a bit of time, one 250 days and one 260 days for someone to sponsor them, and there are children all over the world just waiting to be sponsored. And I just thought, that might not happen today, it might, but man, can we pray that it will happen for these children? and for the many others that are living in poverty. So maybe just grab that picture and just pray that someone will sponsor that child in the next month so that they can be released from poverty in Jesus' name. So let's pray. Father, we just thank you again that you've given us an incredible privilege of living where we live. That really we don't question day to day about water, about food, about health. I mean, it's just a gift to us. We don't live in the pressures of extreme poverty. We live in the joy of your salvation and the privileges and the blessing that that brings. But Father, there are many people and many children in our world who do not live in that, who do not know Jesus Christ and are not living his way and are living in extreme poverty because they are oppressed by somebody else. And so Father, we ask now that you would intervene, that in Jesus' name you'd intervene into these children's lives today, in Jesus' name that they would not live in the poverty because they were not created to live in poverty. They were created to live in you and the blessing of a relationship with you. They were created for life, not death, for hope, not sadness. And so, Father, we just pray for the brokenness in our world, for the sin in our world, that we as a church would step into that darkness with the light and the love of Jesus Christ, that we would take that as a prime responsibility, that you would place on our hearts now that desire, not to just to live for ourselves and get our own needs met, but to live for you and allow you to meet our needs. That's the way you've called us to live. So, Father, I know this is challenging, but I know this is what you want. So we pray for ourselves, but we also pray for these children and that you would come and you would use us to make a difference in the world. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.